in every country. Dreams, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory with this month's podcast, brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners to keep you up-to-date with developments in the arboriculture industry. Today's talk is by Dan Staley, urban forest planner, and Alex Billos of Harris Aerial on the use of unmanned aerial vehicles in arboriculture. It was originally presented at the 2015 ISA International Conference in Orlando, Florida. So last session of the conference, is everybody still awake? Are you ready to go? Yeah. So I have to say I'm from Colorado and we rarely get humidity like this here. And so I'm having a little bit of trouble and if I keel over, I'm best revived by Jameson or Jim Beam. So, <laughs> maybe. I'd like to know what's in that coffee cup over there, though. So, what we're going to be talking about today is how to think about what's going on in the drone industry right now and whether or not it's applicable to you or maybe your near future. I'm not sure. Oh, the microphone. So, uh, I did have a partner, and, and they were going to be an exhibitor, and they uh, had a trailer accident on the way in, so he's not going to be here, but I do have some of his photographs here as well. So um, all you picture takers and your QR code takers, I'll show this again at the end, so no worries. So what we are not talking about is flying death robots. We are not talking about spy machines. We're talking about a new tool for the industry. And you may have seen that on the exhibitor floor and talked to that person yesterday about that new tool. So what we're going to talk about is how to think about this new introduction in the industry and whether or not it's right for you. So we're going to talk about what do they do, what are they used for, what might happen in the future. I'm going to give you my opinion. And whether or not you're going to buy a machine or use a service provider. And we'll explain that here in a minute. So I'm going to do this in three pieces. We're going to talk about the basics and the capabilities of UAVs or drones. We're going to talk about what they're used for now and what they'll be used for in the near future. High-level view of business decisions you'll need to make. So basics and capabilities. What are these things? Two different types. There's a fixed wing and a rotor wing. The one you saw on the floor yesterday was a rotor wing. This is a fixed wing, it's a miniature airplane. Usually it's autonomously driven. People do not put input into these things, but sometimes they do. Usually they're two to eight feet for any of these applications here in wingspan. A rotor wing is like a helicopter with more arms, three to eight arms with rotors on them. You may have seen this here, this is a hobbyist. We call this a quadcopter right here. 
So he used a fixed wing for long duration, long distance applications, miles of flight, or many acres. Use a rotor wing for short duration precise applications like one tree or one power line. So anything with a fixed wing we have to give some history so it arrives from the um, remote control aircraft industry. And so this is an old co-worker of mine, Randy Bridge, this year about a month ago in the Czech Republic. He set the world record for these RC aircraft 215 miles an hour on a closed course. Pretty cool. So this is where this comes from. So now many, many, many different designs. This is the African savanna. Look for poachers. This is in the Russian uh, Arctic looking for polar bears, walruses, wildlife monitoring. This is the geological survey. They're doing mapping. This, I'd like to draw attention to this. This is what's called a flying wing. And so these are used for larger operations and then this uh, company will come in and use a smaller drone to look at anything that they need to look at more closely. This is a flying wing uh, that they use for search and rescue. This is the western slope of Colorado. Um, this is a larger flying wing. They'll fly this out over the ocean. You'll look for fish, plankton bloom, mammals, something like that. So to recap for what fixed wings do, so fixed wings are autonomous flight for the most part. You program it in, let it go, it comes back when it's done. Long distance, high altitude. The wing design offers different capabilities. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute with more photographs. And if you're big enough, it'll require a launcher. Try not to show too much of that so we look like the military here. So I don't want to do that. Any questions about fixed wings right now? All right. So rotor wings. So tons of different designs, all kinds of different things. This has three arms, prop on top, prop on the bottom. Six rotors. This is a common bird in Europe. They do a lot of aerial surveying with this. You may have seen this on the news or somewhere else. This is the most sold drone in the world. This is a Chinese company called DJI. This is the Phantom series. Offered out of the box with a camera. About $2,000. This is a hobbyist drone. Made by your smartphone to go somewhere. This is about $300. A lot less payload, less you can do with it, but you can fly it with your smartphone. So we're now we're getting into the commercial applications here. So this is a, what we call a hexacopter, one, two, three, four, five, six, hexagon. Here's the camera mount down here, very sturdy mount. So when it crashes, the camera won't be broken. This is a very common bird over in uh, Germany, especially in the uh, northern part of Europe. This is used for a lot of aerial surveying and maintenance and inspections. Uh, it's done for safety for the most part. This is why this design here, in fact, is so safe to even let engineers touch it. <laughs> so this is an octocopter, eight arms, heavy duty mount, very large camera. So this is, uh, my partner couldn't show up, this is one of their birds. This is Harris Aerial. This is a heavy lift. They can lift up to 80 kilograms with their bird. So they go out, they fly this thing out into the Gulf uh, for BP. 
So BP, AT&T use these sort of things like that, very large um, array of sensors on there to look at their uh, facilities out in the Gulf. Another octocopter, very, very large, large camera. Something else um, on the end of these arms right here we won't go into, but I want you to look at the controller. So very large controller. So now we're starting to look at all these varieties of birds. There's technological spillovers different types of controllers, different types of communication. Do you have instantaneous communication? Do you download it? Do you want video? Do you have wider broadband? Whoops, wrong one. There's uh, different sort of controllers, looks like for gamers to make it easier to fly these birds. This is a company um, out of Europe. It's very large right now. They're coming up with all their own knockoff technology as well. And this is what you saw yesterday on the floor. Full of technological spillovers. All these things, you may have discussed what some of these things are. It's a very expensive aircraft. It's got some very expensive technology inside there. Everybody wants to get in on this market and offer their product. It's exploding. So mostly with rotor wings, they're quite different. So it's autonomous or guided. We can do either one. We can program it to go out and come back or we can guide it ourselves depending upon the task much shorter distance to fly, much lower altitude. The more rotors that you have, the greater lift and control that you have. And that's especially important if it's windy. You want to have more control if you're looking at something. And industry uses this a lot, but mostly the news reports that you see are from hobbyists. All these things, the drone flying up and impeding the, the firefighting activities in California, all that sort of stuff. Those are mostly hobbyists. It's not commercial people doing that. And another knockoff technology right here. So these two components right here, unplug it, plug in a new one, ready to go for spray. This is for a spraying operation. These are batteries, plug them, unplug them, ready to go. Much more technology offered with the rotor wing aircraft right now. The other thing that's important with drones is the cameras and the technology. The cameras, the imaging, the technology is driving this industry forward and they're catching up on the birds to make them lighter and more compatible to what's happening with the imaging. So we can do anything from the visual spectrum, from video, you've all seen drones with GoPros on them, right? Thermal imaging, we'll talk about that in a minute. Infrared and near infrared, we'll talk about why you need that in a minute. Multispectral, the agriculture industry loves multispectral and hyperspectral. It allows them a lot of analysis for plants, water stress, nutrient deficiency, heat, all sorts of things. LIDAR. LIDAR is what's driving the industry and the computing power behind it for line inspection, for pipeline inspection. The ability to fly smaller and smaller LIDAR and to have the computing power to crunch it is really driving this industry. So visual, lots of engineers out there want to make stuff to drive cameras. That's easy enough to do for them. The, the, you see the helmet cams have become smaller and smaller and smaller year by year. This is that drone I mentioned, the DJI Phantom. This is an add-on that you can just add on for about another $100. You can fly around with a really nice drone, take your video. I've seen an awful lot of people flying these things trying to get into aerial photography or real estate or something like that. You, this is what you see a lot of modifying flying wings to fly video. This is very important. This is a thermal camera that weighs 70 grams. 
This is flown for search and rescue. You can use thermal to find human bodies still alive. 70 grams, and it's getting smaller. They have competitions every year to try and get them smaller. This is a, a near-infrared detector. This is 300 grams. This is a hyper or a multispectral imager. This is 500 grams. They're on the market now for 270 grams. Not as good as this one, but 270 grams you can get a multispectral imager. This is LIDAR. This is a little over 1,000 grams. You fly that lighter on something like this. This will do something like a, a mine inspection, uh, maybe a pipeline inspection, something like that. Uh, in Europe, these are very popular. Look at old coal mines to see if there's any subsidence happening. You can do two at the same time. You can have a visual and something else at the same time. The technology is there to alter and move these things. And you'll get something like this on the left as some sort of agricultural field. And here on the right with your multispectral, why am I not growing as well? Oh, there's something underneath there, a soccer, I don't know what that is, soccer field, whatever that is. You fly two at once. So this is what LIDAR looks like when you fly a transmission line. So depending upon the quality of your camera, your detector, and the ability of your computational power, it's nothing to get enough dots to do a high-level analysis or a detailed analysis of the height. This is a cheap LIDAR detector. This is from a few years ago. This is how far we've come. This was flown just a few years ago. We didn't have the computational power to process all these dots, and now we do. We're getting smaller and smaller in our aircraft. Every year, these pieces get smaller. This is a navigation chip right here. They have competitions every year to fly a fixed route, autonomous, programmed, GPS, autonomous, every year to take pictures or to do something or identify something and fly around twice and come back at speed and at accuracy and to not crash, unguided. And these get smaller and smaller and they, they lower the weight level every year to fly these courses. So with rotor wings, and UAVs in general, very, very rapidly developing technology, something that's hot now. In two years, it'll be obsolete. One thing we want to talk about, I don't want to harp on it too much, is the FAA. You've probably heard about it if you're following this at all. Supposedly, they're going to finalize the rules for commercial aircraft, or some of the rules for commercial aircraft in fall of this year. Whether or not that actually happens or not, they extended the comment period. Uh, they have a ton of comments, uh, mostly from businesses, talking about how these rules are good or bad for the business. So very unstable, uh, not set in stone yet, but we're getting there. We're getting there. And the business models are evolving. I'll give a couple examples here in a minute. But what is viable for one business model today is going to expand rapidly three to five years from now. So any questions about the basics and capabilities? Yes, sir. Uh, question about the power supply. You have a picture that's at 120 kV. I the motors that obviously not. But are they gasoline? Are batteries? Or the, the question is, what powers these things? Is it gasoline or batteries or what? It, it can be either or or both depending upon the skill of the engineer to manufacture that thing and go. A lot of the fixed wings will be powered by gas, 
because they have to go so far and the batteries are still so heavy. Um, a lot of the rotor wings will be a battery. Good question. Anything else? All right. So what are they used for? What are these things used for besides spying on your neighbor and getting shot down? So the big two are agriculture monitoring and infrastructure inspection. Those are the big two. And these are going to drive how arborists use these things. And they will use these things. This is going to be a game changer. This is why I'm here. Search and rescue, fire monitoring, wildlife monitoring. A lot of wildlife monitoring in Africa now is done by drone, by um, NGOs flying drones, because uh, you don't get a person shot down monitoring for rhinos when you fly a drone. So agriculture. What are we doing with agriculture? Very important what we're doing with agriculture. A lot of spillover into tree care. So crop health, visual inspection after weather damage, and spray applications. Spray applications. So an example of flying a uh, flying wing, maybe to inspect for hail damage. This is plant health, so you can fly and process either an image this way or depending upon your uh, detector, you can do NDVI, Normalized Difference Vegetation Index. That's the reflectance that comes back off the leaf. Is it a healthy leaf? Is it water stress? Is it nutrient stressed? With enough resolution, you can tell if, if a single plant is nutrient stressed, is being eaten by an insect, something like that. Orchardists. Orchardists are using drones a lot. There was just an incident in, in uh, California about a month ago where an orchardist was flying a drone, his neighbor shot at it, and, his, and he was inspecting his trees. Wildlife monitoring, vegetation monitoring. So this is what power line monitoring looks like. So we have all these spillover technologies. So this is LIDAR, and this all comes from agriculture. Here's your lines, your uh, color is your height away from whatever target that you have right here. A company came in and said, hey, I can interpret this LIDAR imagery for you with my software. Let me do that for you. And so they do. Agriculture spraying. China is testing a drone flying out in front of this one, looking at the field, identifying individual plants. This one comes in, sprays that plant, goes on, goes on, goes on, goes on, goes on, instead of spraying the whole field. Can you imagine how much less Pesticide application is needed to do that instead of a crop duster. Infrastructure. Europe is extremely big on UAVs inspecting wind farms. Can you imagine being an inspector and getting off a boat in an offshore wind farm in a six-foot swell and then having to climb up one of these things and looking at it or dropping down from a helicopter to look for cracks? They just use drones now. Old infrastructure, awful lot of farmers converting their land uh, in Germany to uh, solar panels. And so they use drones to inspect to see the integrity of the cells. They can do that. Connections for power lines, bridge inspections, all done routinely. France, Netherlands, parts of Italy, Switzerland, this is a guy checking out all his property using multispectral imagery to look at his plant health. You can fly high, you can go low. 
Another LiDAR application for forestry. Software developed for that. Canopy cover. Canopy cover in cities. Very easy to do with near infrared. With visual, you get confused with the shadows. With near infrared, it's very easy to automate a program to outline the canopy and then calculate the amount of canopy per acre. Very easy to do. You can overlay it over Google Images with some of this software. Here's your transmission line and where are your dangers if the customer prefers Google Images. LiDAR again. This is a company out of France and they fly all of their transmission and distribution lines, this company, with UAVs and LiDAR. Every single kilometer they do. This is the name of the company. I'll bring them up again. There's an analog here coming in the United States. So here's your LiDAR. Here's your pole. Not quite there yet. You can tell by the, the color that they chose that it's still safe. So you may not want to have your folks out walking in something like this because it may take forever, but the drone will find it. So here's that software again processing that imagery into analysis to do what you ask it to do. That software is already out there. Different way to look at it. So here's an individual tree canopy that's too close. So it's targeted, identified, GPS. The folks are sent out there via GPS right there. They don't even have to look for it. They know exactly where it is. Different way to look at it. This is how it looked a couple years ago. We didn't have the detectors or the processing power, but you could still make out great detail. Europe's on board. They have it. They understand it. So other uses? Uh, no editorial comments for me on the uh, ultimate hope for rhinos and whether or not UAVs will help them or not, but they're used extensively in Africa for wildlife poaching, wildlife monitoring, crop health in sub-Saharan Africa. This is Florida, manatees. Maybe they're looking for Burmese pythons as well. I'm not exactly sure if that's what they're looking for. I'm not sure they could see them. This is Western Slope of Colorado, search and rescue. This one here. Anyone going to ISA Texas this year? Raise your hand. Anyone going to ISA? Well, yeah. Anyone? Okay, I'm doing a workshop on drones in ISA Texas, and some of my pilots participated in the search and rescue for the floods that they had in Texas this spring. These are some of the guys that did this right here. So the FAA said, please, we need some help. We're going to step aside. We're not going to be harsh. Help us out here. We need some help. Search and rescue is easy to do. You may have seen some of these news stories as becoming more socially acceptable. People see the positive benefits of these things. Flood monitoring, wildfire, hotspots. Easy to do with drones, wildfire hotspots. One thing that they're doing, this is in England, they have a big program over there called the Green Plan that is looking to uh, make energy efficient every single residential building in Great Britain. They're using UAVs to look for leakage to target. Any questions on current future usage? All right, so what does this mean? Can I do something with it? Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? So should I do it? Which way should I go? And what are they going to use it for in the future? 
So should you think about this? It's still early. Should you think about it? How much money? How long is it going to take to pay off? Now this depends. So if you're just doing visual or video and you're doing safety for your climbers, you're selling uh, something, you're upselling, you're uh, uh, doing some media, whatever, that's an easy calculation. But if you are doing plant health, if you're doing LIDAR and you're having a third party do that, it's a little bit harder to figure out that calculation. And so you have to think a lot harder. It's not just a simple ROI. I spent $45,000 and, and, and I expect in four years this is going to pay off from, or not. It's much more complicated than that. You have your initial investment and then you have follow on. And you're probably going to have some sort of contract if you have a third party that, that may be renegotiated. So it's a little bit harder. So I'm not telling you how to go. I'm just telling you what's going to happen how it's happening in Europe right now. So are you going to be a leader or are you going to be a follower? Is it going to be worth it or not to make that initial investment? Is the regulatory landscape too scary right now? Is the, the advance of technology too fast and I'll just wait so I don't buy something that's obsolete? And here's something on the operations side, and I'll talk about this more in a minute. Is it worth it to have some of your own staff get up to speed, take some of their speed instead of being a, out in the field? Is it worth it to have them take some time? And I'll tell you some stories about that here in just a second. And again, is the regulatory environment comfortable? I can't emphasize that enough. If you're going to get into this, try to get an understanding of what's happening with the regulation. There are some folks out there that can help you with that. Fortunately, they've been doing it for long enough. So for your staff, your field staff, is it worth it to have the guy with the soul patch out there spending time doing this thing? What's he going to do? What's he going to use it for? And so a couple months ago, I got stuck uh, being scorekeeper at the Rocky Mountain Tree Climbing Championship. And so fortunately for me, though, the other scorekeeper was uh, one of the co-owners uh, husband and wife of a tree care company who uses drones. And so we had a lot of time to talk, and so we talked about this a lot. And if you ask her, she didn't care for it that much. She wanted her guys out doing something else. Other than this, do something. Give me some money. And if you ask him, he was like, well, let me tell you what I'm doing with this. And he'd just go on and on and on, and she'd shake her head, and you know, let me tell you what I'm doing with this. Well, one of the things he's doing with this is in Colorado, we do a lot of wildland fire mitigation. So you have to have fire-wise landscaping. And so whatever the insurance company requires you to do, you're going to hire a tree care firm to come out and do it. And so what he's doing with his guys is he's having them fly the drone, do a before and after. This is on the web. This is on the YouTubes. And it's on their website as well. And he's having them fly before and after. And then he packages up that memory stick with his logo on it and sends it to the insurance company with a, you know, promotional material and says, where's my fee? Give me my fee for doing this for you. And the insurance company doesn't have to send anybody out there. So he flies a drone and, and this is a, a four-minute video. And he's charging for it. Whether or not you want to charge for something like this is something else. This is multispectral imagery. Here's one species, here's a different species, here's a different species, different species. 
Whether or not you want to spend time doing that is a different story. I'm not sure you want to do that, but fortunately there's companies out there that are ready to do that for you. This happens to be one out of Scandinavia, but there's more and there's some here in the United States and there is one on the exhibitor floor yesterday. So they'll do everything. They'll take it all. They'll take all your data and do something with it or they'll fly your data and they'll do something with it for you for a fee. And they'll crunch that number and they'll give you the output that you asked for and you go back to your customer and you say thanks a lot. Here's a guy in the United States flying a multi-copter trying to get his LiDAR stuff down. He's filming it right now and sharing his experiences on the web trying to get his LiDAR thing down so he can do LiDAR to fly transmission and distribution lines. There's people out there right now trying to get this business model down today, right now. So I did this slide 29 thing for the picture takers out there or the note takers. You want to come back and I'll give you the, the location to this uh, presentation so you can come back. This is a company I mentioned before out of, uh, they're in southern France and they do all power line inspection using UAVs. And so this is the URL, you can't read that, just go to here. This is the URL, the presentation that they did last year explaining how they did all that if you're interested. Wanted to share that with you. This was the vendor yesterday, ECI was out there yesterday and they had some of their partners out there as well, that big huge drone that was out there. They are working to do the transmission and distribution power line flying as well. So there's somebody that's doing the same thing as Dell Air Tech, trying to get the same thing working in the United States right now. So there's models out there. So your concerns are overlapping and some of them are individual, some of them go together. And I can't tell you exactly what to do, I can only raise them for you and help you understand them and you can only answer that yourself in your own business with your own experience. So are you going to use your staff or are you going to contract that out? If it's visual, if it's video, uh, you could probably use your own staff. There will be a young guy out there who probably want to use it. You know, how you justify that, you know, whether you do some write down for advertising or something like that, you know, it's, it's how you work that out. But the, you, you, you probably have a young guy or young gal on staff who wants to do that. And they'll probably do a good job. So do you want to expand your business with this drone or do you want to um, expand your existing client services? Do you want to break out? Do you want to learn a new skill? Is it something that you're comfortable with doing? If you're comfortable with doing something like that, you may want to look at this. And then you may want to look at it and think about what kind of aircraft do I need? And you don't want to buy one that looks cool, that looks like something Batman would fly. You want to use something that works first. You work backwards. What do I use it for? And then buy that craft for that. Not that it looks cool like Batman. So I recommend looking on the web for Mountain High Tree Care. They're using drones on the front range right now. They're using it for climber safety. They have, they have somebody down on the ground and they're following up their climbers. They're looking at their bucket truck and their operations. They're using that for falling. They're using that to show their customers how they won't screw up their property by dropping something. Here's the video. This is how we do it. So a marketing, a, a customer education sort of thing. Do you want to be the first one? 
There's a drawback to that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But safety, losing a $2,000 aircraft is way better than losing an employee. Can you use this for safety operations? Can you use this for training? Can you use this for pre-inspection? If you're going to use it for pre-inspection, make sure that you get a camera that can zoom. The out-of-the-box camera that DJI Phantom offers doesn't zoom. You have to pay more to get a zoom. Get the zoom. Get a 10 times zoom. Do it that way. Spend the money. And you'll see that that branch maybe shouldn't be ascended. And lastly, do you act now or because the technology is going so fast, do you wait and see? And one thing that I would say to that is you saw the vendor that was out on the floor the other day. And I'll also say that every single engineering firm in the United States that has branches in Europe has a relationship with a drone maker, with a software analysis manufacturer or a coder or something like that. They have all those ready to go. So you can wait and say, I'm going to wait till everybody floods the market and I'll just pay for the service. Or I'm going to do it now before everybody else gets in. Because as soon as that breaks, all those engineering firms are going to bring all these people over and they're going to start expanding into the market. Something to think about. So which way should you go? So if you're somebody who flies transmission and distribution, you're going to want to do or find a firm that does fixed wing. If you're looking at one or two trees, if you're a consulting arborist, if you're a tree care company, you probably want to look at a rotor wing. And I mentioned the name that most people are going with now. Showed plenty of pictures. I'm not selling anything. Other solutions depend upon the task at hand. Now, are you doing vegetation restoration? Are you doing monitoring for an open space easement? Then it depends upon how far that bird can fly. Because how far it can fly depends upon the payload and the wind and all that other sort of thing. So now you're looking at a fixed wing, sea sort of thing. So which, why, how are you using it is what I'm getting at. Not how cool it looks. I'm not showing any pictures here of cool looking Batman aircraft. It's what you're using it for. So are you going to use a service provider? I've mentioned that several times. Personally, in my opinion, I think that's the way to go for large scale operations. It's just not worth it for you to hire staff to take care of all this stuff when a service provider is out there to do it already. They're going to fly the craft for you. They're going to have that liability and responsibility. They're taking it. They have the insurance. They have the liability. You're just paying them to do that analysis. You're not getting any upsells out of it. You're just doing a contract. So if you're looking for upsells, maybe you want to keep the aircraft and take the risk. And again, everybody has a different opinion. And you may not like my opinion, and somebody else uh, may not like my opinion either. Or you may get a lot of opinions and think it through a lot, because there's a lot out there. But there's a lot of capability, awful lot of capability. So the future for the folks in this room, there's already a market. It's already there in Europe. It's expanding as the civil air authorities in individual countries in the EU 
relax their restrictions, they're, they're already expanding into more and more countries every year. It's mostly a third party provider doing that, such as Swiss LiDAR, Dell Air Tech, I already mentioned them. Here's one out of Canada. I'm going to mention them again here in a minute. They've got an interesting story. They do agriculture, and they do it all now in Canada. This is a company in Colorado who does everything that I just talked about with human-powered aircraft. So they're ready to go down at any time. This is a company, this is a consortium in Europe. They're called Parrot. They do all kinds of sensor technology for flights, and they also do it for self-driving cars. So they've got that market cornered over there. They've got all kinds of other fun things that they do, but they do agriculture, they do everything. So they're already there. So what's going to happen in tree care, I think, is going to mirror what's happening in agriculture and in orchard operations. So spraying, again, spraying. Did I say spraying? It's going to happen. Spraying is going to happen in urban areas with drones. It's already happening in orchards now. It's going to get tighter and tighter and move to urban areas. So your guy, the, the day of the guy or the gal on the ground with a big wand and a trunk, 40 feet high with a pressurized truck, those are going to be gone soon. Monitoring inventory, plant health is another one. Flying a, flying a, a special district or an HOA for a client and, and monitoring the health of their trees be much more easy to do soon. Traditional aircraft tasks will eventually be replaced. Kind of obvious, I think. So this was the vendor that was down with ECI yesterday. They are the um, best poised. They have a number of companies that they're working with. They're the best poised to do the large-scale um, transmission and distribution analysis for clients, as I think some of you probably figured out after seeing what they do yesterday. So we've got electronics advances, battery advances, materials, imaging. Imaging is getting smaller and smaller. Miniaturization of everything. Social acceptance. Flexible business models. One last thing. Flexible business models. I like to bring up Precision Hawk. They started out seven, eight, nine years ago as a company in a valley in Canada that took a remote controlled aircraft, painted it to look like a red tailed hawk, and flew it over vines and orchards to keep the birds away. Not long thereafter, they put a camera on there and they said, oh. Oh, wow, check this out. Then they put better sensors on there, better sensors on there, better sensors on there. Now, they're doing it all. They're doing it all in agriculture. They, they fly, they take the images, they crunch the data, they deliver the product for Canadian agriculture clients. They're ready to come. We're ready here right now. They have a presence in the United States. They're just waiting. That's the flexibility that they didn't even know. They just were scaring birds away. 10 years ago, and now they're analyzing data for big farmers. And so, again, I'd like to bring up these guys that were here yesterday. Uh, big money solution for big money problem, as we saw 
in the presentation before mine. And so you can imagine what some of the solutions can be with an array of sensors on something like this flying around. You can see it beforehand. Now if you can just get the people to, you know, do something and act, you know, that would be great. You know, the, the government and the HOAs to get them to do something, that would be perfect. You can't, this, this or any drone won't do any of that. But uh, hopefully in the future it will give them some impetus. So I hope that I've shattered your worldview of trees and trees care a little bit and open your eyes to a changing world of tree care. And I talked about a whole bunch of stuff, and I hope you remember it all. But the important stuff that I talked about is there's differences and similarities between fixed ring and rotor wing, and it's the task at hand that gives you that decision on how you're going to make that decision on what you're going to use. Close in, and precise or large area, fixed wing. Infrastructure inspection is coming very soon. Pipelines, transmission, distribution, it's gonna be here next year. The over the horizon, the out of sight aircraft um, from the operator uh, has been granted an exemption. That's gonna be tested and we're gonna see how that goes and in 2016 or 2017 it'll be opened up and people will be doing it. I think the, our, the agricultural model is great for tree care. It's the same thing. It's the very same thing. Silviculture grew out of agriculture. So why not? Why not tree care growing out of drone care in agriculture? Again, I want the takeaway to be the regulatory landscape in the United States is unsettled. Make sure you get a handle on that before you make your big decision, if you're going to make a decision. And it's the individual company decision whether or not you're going to spend staff, time, and material on this technology that's going to be here soon, or whether or not you just say, well, there's enough third-party providers out here, I'll just go that route and we'll tailor our sales staff to be able to interface with them and get what they want out of that. And so I don't have the liability and the insurance. So that's it. So I thank you a lot. I appreciate your attention, especially the last presentation of the last day. And everyone's still awake. And that's fantastic. And I'll, I'll leave this up. So if you, if you don't have a QR code reader, all you need to do is go to prezi.com and search on my stuff, and you'll, you'll find this thing right here. And if you want to take it and you're a Prezi user, use it. I don't care. Great. So, so one of the... We do have questions, so yes, go one ahead. One of the obvious applications is damage assessment after a storm. Oh, yeah. I'm curious as to the operating limitations of the aircraft weather-wise. So the, the question is, what are the operating uh, limitations of the craft weather-wise? For a rotor wing, it's severely limited. When you're, you're in the wash of the storm and there's still a lot of wind and turbulence and that thing, you're, you're going to have to wait some hours. A fixed wing, the flying wing is really good, really good at that. And then you can, you can adjust your, your height and your altitude according to where you can find the winds and it can carry enough imagery and you can fly 10 miles and do that. Um, that's a lot better for that. 
Uh, if you're looking at individual losses of like a tree down on a house or something like that, you're probably going to have to wait for that wind to settle down for a rotor wing. Yeah, question on uh, maximum range of fixed wing yep. and also steep terrain. How does it account for that if it's pre-programmed? Yep, good question. So, so the maximum range on a fixed wing depends upon how much of the payload you want to dedicate to fuel. And so it's mostly going to be a liquid fuel when you're flying miles. And so we're, we're talking about miles. And as big as your wing to carry more payload, the more miles you can fly. So the vendor that was down there yesterday, he's got some fixed wings that he's talking about flying for hours along the transmission and distribution network. So that's what they're looking at as far as that goes. So your, your limitations for your rotor wing are in the realm of minutes. The, the best that one can fly right now with a good deal of payload is about an hour. And a lot of that payload is still battery. We're limited by battery technology. Now for GPS and slopes and all that, um, that is uh, as good as your maps and as good as your GPS. But what happens is now you're using um, GPS sensors and if you have the data that knows the terrain, then, then that uh, uh, aircraft will adjust itself automatically. And that's one of those things, that course that I showed, that's one of those things that fixed wing flyers do is they test their GPS capability by going up and down hills like that and getting as close as they can. So it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. Yeah, is there any idea um, how much the FAA is gonna hobble this technology? Everyone has an idea. <laughs> and everyone has a different idea. So what's happening right now with the FAA is they are currently granting single exemptions to companies to fly agriculture out of sight, out of line of sight. And so you're talking a 960-acre farm, something like that, uh, where you, there's no way you're going to see that bird, or an orchard. And we see this in California a lot because an orchard, you know, you're 50 feet away and you, you, you lost, you're gone. And so they're granting exemptions to individuals who show that they're not crashy and all that sort of thing. And so the vendor that was here yesterday, they have an exemption to fly transmission lines beyond line of sight because they've shown the ability to be trustworthy and not crashy. Now, whether or not they're going to grant that to everybody, like DHL, Amazon, you know, uh, Little Caesars, um, I don't think anybody knows at this point. I think what they're, what they're trying to do is the, the valid safety. So FERC and NERC could definitely be safety, absolutely. Um, that's coming first. And so they're going, to, they're going to grant those exceptions and they're going to grant them to agriculture because we have to eat. But we don't need to have Little Caesars delivered to us in 10 minutes. And so that's going to come later. So I, I would say that the, the prospects for um, uh, tree care, um, open space monitoring, that sort of thing, vegetation, plant health, and trees, um, that's a lot sooner than DHL delivering pizza. Does that answer your question? Uh, as I understand it, though, if you're a commercial entity right now and you use a drone uh, and get any kind of payment through it, that that's a violation of the F FAA and you might get an interesting letter in the mail. Yep, that is correct. Until uh, the, the current timeline is September 2015 when the rule is approved. Whether or not they're going to push that back out, it's been pushed out a number of times. The first one was in 2012. A uh, lot of comments tons of comments, and, and it doesn't help that uh, drones in California are impeding uh, 
firefighting operations. They had to ground their aircraft on two separate days. Uh, people are shooting them out of the sky because they think they're trespassed. You know, all this stuff. And so um, everyone hopes it's September 2015. Nobody expects it. We are well past time, but Dan's willing to stay for questions. I'm going to just walk up and put the CEU number up, so if people need to get that and get out, they can go. We're going to keep questions going here for a little bit. Hi, my name is Barry. Just a question on two things, really. The resolution for fixed wing, and we have some limits, I think, in our country, and to expect that to change, and I guess if it does, how would you see like unmanned and satellite imagery compared to these lower level drones if we get higher resolu resolution and imagery? Right, so when you're talking about resolution, you're talking about a different sort of imaging applications. So with LIDAR right now today with fixed wing, today we can get 500 points per meter, but we just can't compute it, but we can get it and you know, can we store it and download it? So it's all about miniaturization and power and flight and, and computing power. So um, it, it's all the same. So there, there's no difference there's no difference in fixed wing uh, piloted and fixed wing unpiloted ability to resolve in the eyes of uh, security folks right now. There is okay. a limit the resolution we can do, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. think that will change? It, oh, yeah, sure, absolutely, yeah. It, it, the, the resolution will change because the, the technology will change the, the, the limits. Once we start getting all our agriculture taken care of like that, um, yeah. Thank you. Other questions? That I saw a couple more. All right, thank you. This concludes Dan Staley and Alex Billos' talk on the use of unmanned aerial vehicles in arboriculture. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to today's podcast, please visit the ISA online store and select online CU quizzes. Thank you for listening to this podcast, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.